Hey, everybody. Normally, it's not my face you see. It's Greg's face, but uh, he's on vacation this week. So uh, for this episode, we have a very special guest. I'm not going to reveal. You'll have to watch it to find out. But we are going to talk about brokerage issues and the state of real estate brokerage. This is Industry Relations, a podcast that's at the intersection of real estate and technology from an insider's perspective with Rob Hahn and Greg Robertson. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Industry Relations with Rob and Greg. But uh, I have news today. So Greg is on vacation, I believe, in uh, paradise, uh, otherwise known as Hawaii. So I found us a guest host who will uh, step into Greg's mostly capable shoes. Hi there. Hi, babe. So (laughs) in case anybody uh, doesn't know, uh, this is my wife and partner, Sunny. Hi, Sunny. Hi, nice to see all of you. Um, And I wish you a very warm aloha, Greg Robertson, while you are enjoying Hawaii. That's right. And we don't don't know what island he's on, right? Did you say? No, I'm not creepy. I didn't ask. I didn't ask for specifics. And I forgot to put the tracker in his his luggage or, but the drone pilot, I believe, is heading over so he could actually get live footage of the robertsons but uh mm-hmm. no that is totally like not gonna happen that is so There's... yeah nope i didn't i have i have nothing to do i just want the, <laughs> the audience to know i had nothing to do with the tracking of greg robertson i want greg and his wonderful family to have a lovely time without us being weird that's so right. aloha aloha uh so you you are stepping in for greg today as we are going to talk yeah about a topic close and near and dear to your heart, which is brokerages. Uh, oh, so God. Actually, before we start, again, I think anyone who's listening probably knows who you are in your background, but just in case, let's just quickly do a, a, a brief intro. And uh, yeah. Okay. Tell us about Hi. yourself, Sunny. I'm Sunny Lakehan. I am the uh, wrangler of the notorious one, the uh, partner in charge of brokerage and... I don't know, operations for 70S Associates. I am a recovering broker, real estate broker, um, because once you quit real estate brokerage, you never actually kind of like get over it. So I'm a recovering broker, spent some time at Zillow. um, And yeah, so I've done a lot in my 20 years in the industry and it kind of spans all things. That's right. And, um, but yeah, my favorite and most important job is being the wrangler of, the wonderful co-host. All right. Well, thank you very much for stepping in for Greg. Um, so basically, we thought, you know, a few, couple of years ago, obviously, you and I did a uh, white paper yes. you know, for 70S talking about W2 brokerage and brokerage models generally. Uh, and I just thought, you know what? Let's revisit the topic. Uh, what's happening with brokerage? Uh, oh, baby, nothing's happening with brokerage. Like, that's the sad thing about it is, People loved the idea, like they loved the idea, the numbers worked, they loved it. But the sad reality of it is that brokers, traditional brokers that wanted to flip to that model just didn't have the financial runway to do it because brokers are only running like a 3% profit margin across the country and that is a but at the same time, though, the W-2 model is a little bit more in the news because obviously Redfin has always been a flagship of that. Yeah. But, you know, we've heard Rocket is launching a brokerage under that model. We've heard yeah, better, better is yeah. launched, right? Mm-hmm. 
Open Door is essentially a W2 brokerage model, I believe, right? Uh, Zillow, to the extent that it had a brokerage during the whole iBuying days, they were all using W2 people. So what's what's there happening some, in that front? Yeah, there are some large, well-run teams that also run as W2. Um, mm-hmm. So it is a thing. It is just hard to make that leap from traditional brokerage to um, it's easier if you have maybe a team to do it than try to like flip a whole brokerage. But agents don't want to be employees for the most part. I mean, that was something that I learned as a broker Mm -hmm. is that like my agents needed me when shit went sideways with a deal, but they didn't want me to be their boss. Like they needed me to help them with stuff. But in terms of wanting a boss, then none of them wanted a boss. So like none of them would have wanted to be W2 other than, you know, I'm like, Hey, if you could make more money and you get insurance and you know, all of these things, but none of them wanted a boss. None of them actually wanted, like I could give them all the ideas of things to do and tell like, if you do these things every day, you will be successful and you will have business. But again, it's that I don't want a boss telling me how to run my business and how, telling me how to run my day. I want this flexibility. They have an entrepreneurial spirit. So right. it is hard. It's a hard switch to flip. And yet that whole like, okay, agents don't want a boss, but that sucks for brokers. Oh, of course it sucks for brokers. That's why why? I had a thing where I was like, people are like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm drinking and crying. (laughs) I'm drinking and crying. That's what brokers do. We drink and we cry. (laughs) And and that hasn't gotten any better, right? I mean. Well, I'm not a broker anymore. So I am. That's why I'm a recovering broker. Because I, I. don't drink or cry nearly as much anymore. So, but let's let's look at that. So it's been a couple of years since we really did a deep dive into it. Um, I think what we've seen over the last few years, though, is essentially, I, I don't know, I guess the way I look at it is the sort of the rise of the traditionals back, right? The big traditionals, um, you know, sort of the Realogy model, um, Home Services, Howard Hanna, you know, none of those guys have gone away and they have a new entrant now into the field who's really making waves, which is Compass, right? Uh, the low cost models, you know, meaning the Remaxes, the 100% shops, you know, the uh, the home smarts of the world, home smarts going public this year, Fathom went public, um, you know, and then obviously EXP, which is a low cost model is like the story, the growth story. Um, and then, you know, sort of the boutiques, haven't really heard a whole lot from, but, you know, I know you're more in touch with sort of that side of things. Like, where do you see things right now in terms of kind of brokerage competition? Like, who do you like? Who do you dislike? What do you, what do you see? Honestly, I could, I mean, this is going to be unpopular, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, I can give a shit what brokerage people are with, like what, what brokerage agents are with, if the agents are doing what they should be doing like treating people well, getting deals done, making sure they're communicating. Like, I don't really care what flag your, you know, brokerage is under, like your license is under. That doesn't matter to me. I really, it matters to me that agents are actually doing the right thing. So in terms of like, who's doing well? Yes, obviously EXP, amazing. And I am, you know, a Bellingham girl for a long time. And that is a Bellingham homegrown business. So Glenn known Glenn for a long time. And I've, it's been fun to watch his success. Um, 
Remax. I have a lot of good Remax friends and I love that. I mean, I was with Coldwell Banker for a long time and I have a lot of love for Coldwell Banker. I think Compass is doing some really cool things. I think HomeSmart is doing some really cool things. I think Next Home is. I think honestly, the the brokerage that's going to win um, in terms of all of this is actually the really well-run agent team. Shocking. Right. Right. I don't, Which, I don't think, I don't know, like if a brokerage is going to win, I feel like a super well-run agent team is going to win. And that's kind of where I see things. Thing is like, what we're seeing though, is more and more consolidation, right? Like the big brokers are, we, are getting bigger and bigger. Are we? Yeah. There's data on it. Um, okay. Who was it? Either T360, I want to say it was T360, you know, came out with like 60% of all the transactions that are being done by like five brokerages or something. Right. Okay. Because you know they have all the big agent teams. You know, at the same time, it's not like the financials have gotten any better, from what I could tell. Right. So you look at the performance of like the big public companies because everything loans really report. It's simply because the the home prices are going so through the roof, so their sales volumes are way up. So therefore, you know, their share of the GCI is getting better. Um, but I don't, I don't know that the financials are, are necessarily improving for everybody other than EXP. EXP's been blowing things out the water, right? So that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, you know, I think ultimately it will be, you know, as, as we've said, I thought the W2 was going to ultimately be the future, but it just hasn't come through. And I could have just been wrong about that. Like we just could have been wrong simply because to your point, agents don't want bosses. They don't want to work for anybody, right? Well, and I mean, and it, cuts down the number of agents that you need like to actually mm -hmm. be successful and that goes counter to every way like the way that organized real estate is set up i mean yes organized real estate is kind of like i mean i think all of your listeners understand what organized real estate is but if yeah. you're new to real estate and you're not part of the system organized real estate is like the realtor association mls brokerage, how all those work together. So those business models typically are built on like the number of agents that you have. It's your number of subscribers or members. And so until that changes, I don't think brokerage really can change. Does that make sense? Like, do you of agree with that or do you think it's wrong? No, I think it's, I think it's right, except that I don't know. I mean, it depends on what happens, right? Through the industry as a whole over the next few years. Right. And, you know, like, Greg and I have already argued about the Marge versus Brenda thing. You know, I think Marge is just getting murdered, you know, um, yeah. Brenda, the top agent. So the, that episode was about Marge, the average real estate agent, Brenda, the top team leader. Brenda's are killing it. Marge is just getting murdered. Um, so it's it, what's interesting about it to me is, and I bet, and there's, again, very little studies done on this because nobody really wants to study this. But I bet if you took, say, you know, Realogy, which is, or Compass, you know, these like number top five brokerages, and you took, say, 5% of their agents away, they instantly fall out of like the top 100. You know what I mean? Well, they, they about five, you have to take 5% of their top agents away. That's what I mean. Right? Yeah. Like if you, I mean, but here's the thing is those ones too, like when you said that it's consolidating, yeah, the transactions are consolidating to like, a smaller, like a more concentrated percentage of the agents, but there's more people getting their licenses now. Like we're at 1.6 sure. million realtors or something. I'm like, we don't need that many people. Sure. So 
Yeah. So the people who are killing it are really killing it. And the ones who are not killing it, the marges of the world. Yeah, it sucks for them. But most of them have other jobs that they do. Like mm-hmm. real estate isn't their primary business. So right. that and that hasn't changed. And then like that could change. Marges would do really well in a W-2 model. Right. Like they would probably do really well in W-2 model. Brenda, if she had an agent team under her that was W-2, she'd be killing it even more. Right. And we know that they are because we, a couple of them are clients and we, yeah. we see their numbers. Um, but it's it's one of those things that it just, we were having this conversation in earnest and then COVID happened and everybody's fortunes just reversed. So now yeah. it's just not a conversation, but I'm kind of like, this can't last forever, Right. In other words, so the housing market, I think, could last forever. I think I'm well on record as saying that home price, like we don't, we don't see high home prices, we see dollar devaluation. But by the flip side, what I'm thinking is, it's it's actually astonishing to me how many people, probably at these bigger companies, have likely hit the highest level production, right? In terms of commission splits, like so. Let's go through this, like. You know, there's tiers of, of agents and tiers of compensation, right? Yeah, I was funds. a broker. I know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what did it take to reach the highest level? And again, I'm not saying that there's still the same numbers, but from what you remember, how much well, production it's usually like, And it depended on if, the, I mean, there were some agents that I had that ne- their split never rolled, like never did because they were on a legacy plan and then other ones once they hit like twenty five thousand company dollar mm-hmm. they would you know bump up right mm-hmm. but what's the highest like how much would you have to do to get to the top tier it would we really just had the one tier like we had the you start here and then you bump up okay we but didn't you know, have like a bunch, we didn't a lot have a of bunch brokers of have like five six different tiers in yeah models, no and we didn't stuff. have that at my office right. we did not so, have that in my office my thing is like when home prices are going up 20 percent a year right it's way easier and a lot of those agents likely hit those higher tiers yeah and the ones who didn't fell out of even whatever they were at because market share shifted mm-hmm. so i think it's going to have an impact and though some of those higher tier people are going to start coming back and saying, hey, I, I want higher splits, right? Because, you know, it's like, it's great. They I'm already are. Like, you, mm-hmm. that, I mean, that's that's not a secret. They already right. are. They already demand, like, the highest splits available. And if they don't get it from their broker, they'll just chuck down the street. Like, right. trust me, I had agents come into my office crying, saying that they love me and they were going to miss me and they still wanted me to come over for dinner. But they were going to another office that was giving them a better split. And I'm like... Mm-hmm. My hands are tied. I can't mm-hmm. do anything about it. So it's like, right. you love me and that relationship goes so far. But when it comes to your money, of course, you're going to leave me. Right. So those top tiers have to flex is my point. In other words, yeah. let's say uh, uh, some companies like our top tier is 8515. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like starting tier at some companies. So you're going to have to yeah. go to 95.5. You're going to have to yeah. go to 100%. And we yeah. already know there are 100% shops out there and they're killing it you know they're, they're yeah doing- mine my top agents were like 95.5 and then they had like some monthly fees but it was a 95.5 right mm-hmm. so the question and then i had becomes, other ones that were on a desk fee because it was a legacy plan so yeah right so the question becomes what happens right 
what happens, say, three to five years out, right, with all the if changes? This, if this was vodka, this is what would have happened. <laughs> and then crying. And then so, crying. I mean, like... You know, Greg and I talk a lot about MLS, and obviously we also talk about brokerages. And we had John Campbell, you know, come on recently. Oh, like, John, he's such a great guy. I know, but he's very bullish on some of these brokerage models, right? You know, the EXPs and Realogy, and you know, like their stock prices have done very, very well. You know, um, real estate as a housing as a category has done very well, pretty well. Um, yeah. Like, what's your take? Do you see that continuing? I. I mean, real estate is the hottest girl at the bar right now. So I think that real estate, like in general, is getting a ton of attention from investors and a ton of money coming in. Um, there are some really cool prop tech companies out there. I don't know if it'll last forever. I mean, at some point, like how much negative press does real estate also have to get in terms of like all of this VC money coming in and institutional investors? Like mm -hmm. I'm not someone who's against institutional investors, like by no stretch of the imagination, they own maybe 2% of mm -hmm. the single family homes in America right now. Yes, some markets, they're buying a ton of inventory and turning them into rentals, whatever. I'm not here to die on that hill. Um, but at some point, you have to look at like, if the government comes in and makes changes, and investors can't do stuff like, who knows, because they mm -hmm. want younger you know the zoomers and the millennials to be able to buy homes and you know us horrible gen xers and the boomers before us like we're just ruining everything um at some point that might change and so real estate might not be the sexiest girl at the bar like getting all of the attention from and like all of the investors throwing money at it i think for now that is i mean shit there's so much money to be made like mm -hmm. Our house went up 20, 25% last year. Like, that's stupid. Mm -hmm. yeah. We didn't do anything other than just live here. And I mean, honest, honestly, if you look at us and we are wonderful additions to the home, and of course, that we are driving up <laughs> home prices. Like, look at us. Look at us. My God, I mean, just the fact that we us. lived here, you know. I know, just the fact, yeah. They're like, none of the other houses on the block have gone up the way the Han house has just That's right. by our sheer presence. I'm kidding. Anyone who knows me knows that sarcasm is my love language. But no, I, I feel like at some point it's not going to be the sexiest girl at the bar, but for now it is. And I don't, I don't think the growth like in number of agents and the growth in these company margins, I just don't see it being able to sustain in terms like 6 million houses sell a year. That's 12 million transaction sites. Like we don't need that many people. So the, the meaty middle that right now pays the bills at a brokerage, like, because you lose money every time one of your top agents does a deal. Like you lose money. It's just like you just might as well light money on fire and throw it in mm -hmm. your trash can when your top agents do deals. And those people are the ones who are doing deals. So you need that meaty middle of like agents who do, you know, three, four, five, six transactions a year. You need those people because those ones are the ones who 
never hit their splits and they just are always going right. to be paying you some sort of company dollar. So like we're kind of brokerages are kind of like having, they're required to serve to that like lower, lowest common denominator, well not lowest, but like a pretty low yeah. common denominator um, and just keep their top producers happy. So they, you know, cause those listing signs breed more listing signs um, and you want those top producers and you want that inventory and you want all of that. Like you want that transaction volume for your numbers. And you hope that maybe like there is some drafting effect that the mid tier agents have. Um, but I just don't feel like it's going that I don't feel like the revenues are going to keep going because there's just no, unless it just all goes to one, like it, they all go to one real estate company, but I don't see that happening mm -hmm. because agents are competitive and brokerages are competitive. And like, if, all of the big teams are going to exp you can be damn well sure that other companies are like what do we have to do to attract some of these top tier teams over to our brokerage we mm -hmm. will do whatever it takes because they're not just gonna like roll over and die and just be like right. oh sure exp or you know compass take all of our agent team like they're not going to do that at some point they're going to fight back and so i don't so what like they do dinner. So what could they do? I mean, put your consulting hat on. I mean, you are the partner in charge of brokerage consulting. What what could they do to fight those guys off? I mean, I think the smart ones are like, hey, by the way, sure, go take that check, but you'll see that the emperor doesn't have any clothes. Like the support and everything that some say that they offer and this flexibility that some say that they offer really is not all that helpful, but it, it just depends too. Like, you got to know what those agents, like what their hot buttons are. You have to know who is your target. What do they need? What are they not getting? Like on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you to leave your current brokerage? Like, where does that fall? And like, don't, why but isn't that, don't you think the brokerage managers and the operators, they, they're doing that? Is that not, you know, like if you're a brokerage manager or branch office manager, like, isn't that your life? Isn't that your obsession? Who's going to lose yeah, it should be. But again, it's like if you don't have any money to throw at them, like Compass is, you know, I don't know if they're still doing this where they're like throwing tons of money at these top agent teams when they go into a market. I don't know if they're still doing that, but like I wouldn't have been able to compete against that. I couldn't mm -hmm. write them a check for a hundred grand to come work at our office. I couldn't, mm -hmm. I just couldn't do it. So do you just lose? Do you just give up? Like, what's? Could you go to low cost model? Like, what? What would your What would your thing be? We can't write these big checks. What's your advice? Yeah, if, I mean, honestly, I if those low cost models there were, I mean, like we did have a Remax office, um, but people called it Femax because you. It's like you have it's a desk fee, and so it's a hundred percent. But you do have a high. It was a high desk fee. We had a couple yeah. high desk fee offices. But we didn't have, when I was there, we didn't have any like low cost options other than this like weird assist to sell, whatever mm, right. that was like basically a for sale by owner platform. But we didn't have the low cost option. Mm -hmm. We didn't have that. Had that been available, I mean, because this was like six years ago, um, had that been available, I might have looked at that and said, can we still deliver amazing service to our agents and their customers? 
at a low co- lower cost to them, like get super lean. I mean, I did get our staff pretty lean pretty quickly when I took that mm-hmm. office over. Like I was like, okay, so we gotta we gotta cut some fat here uh, because we were losing money on every deal that we did, which was not great. And it's one of those things that they don't tell you when they're recruiting you to be a broker. Mm-hmm. They don't tell you about the alcoholism, mild or otherwise. They don't tell you about all the crying. They don't tell you about how like shitty it is. They don't tell you. Nobody tells you. By the way, anyone out here, if you are being recruited to be a broker manager of an office, you call me first and I will tell you <laughs> the honest truth. Like you t- they're gonna tell you all the things that you wanna hear. They're gonna hit all the buttons, but you call me first because it is really 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 hard like there are some people who do it and they do it wonderfully and i'm not like this is not me diminishing anyone who runs a brokerage because it is hard work but if someone is trying to recruit you telling you how awesome it is they are lying to you did uh did your company or are you aware of any company that does brokerage manager training Think about we it. Like there's it. All sorts of training for agents, right? Sales training for agents. Is there any operational training for brokerage managers? We actually did. We actually did at uh, the company I was with. I was with Coldwell Banker Bain based out of Seattle. Mm-hmm. And they did actually have like a training program for brokerage managers. And it um, scratched the surface. It scratched the surface, <laughs> but it is definitely better than nothing. Um, and... Yeah, but it's, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that like you say this all the time that no plan survives contact with the enemy. Like Mm -hmm. they can tell you all of the crazy scenarios that you might run across, but like until you actually are in it and you've got a client or broker on the other side screaming at you on the phone and your agent is like in a puddle on the floor in your office because a deal has fallen apart and like, I mean, I, the stories that I have told you and the stories that I could tell, like, kind of make you want to die inside because it is a really hard business. But it's uh, it can also be super worthwhile. Like, I love the agents that mm-hmm. worked in my office. Like, I love them. I still text them all the time. Like, I am friends with them. I root for their success. And that never changes, or at least it's never going to change for me. But running a brokerage is really fucking hard. Okay, so look forward. It doesn't matter. Like, there's no train. I mean, there's no way to train for it. Just like there's no, I mean, you can, there's a ton of agent training out there, like tons of it. Um, and yeah, some like real estate school, I think we all know just like regular real estate school doesn't teach you anything. Doesn't okay. teach you anything. Um, but it does, it, it just teaches you, you know, like the Sherman Antitrust Act and how many square feet are in an acre, but it doesn't actually teach you like how to write a contract or how to go find clients and how to take care of them. Um, it does though, like, so there are, there is great training for agents. I think, I don't know if anyone actually just comes up to brokerage management without having like been in real estate selling before. I don't know. I don't know anyone who had zero real estate background, or at least anyone that mm-hmm. I know of that had zero real estate background that became a broker, like maybe, but usually you understand like 
the real estate mindset, you understand how agents think, you understand like that a lot of times they don't want a boss or need a boss. They just need a hug and like they need to just be sat down and like, I see you, I hear you. I understand that this is really, really hard. I mean, I used to keep a bottle of whiskey in my desk and just like slide it across the desk for them sometimes because they just were taking in all of the emotions from their clients and they just didn't like have anywhere else to put them. Yeah, but that's, I don't know how you translate to financial bottom line. No, you can't. That's, like, I mean, that's really hard. Hope, it's like, you know, like if you're a broker today, you know, so a lot of the listeners of industry relations are brokerages. Like what's the mm -hmm. hope? The hope is that you have, like you have the ability to take those mid tier ones and really help them like in their careers, they're going like, but you have to offer them something else. A lot of them have ancillary services and that is super important to help like actually keep the rest of rest of the business flowing and like all of the money, like you got to keep money coming in and ancillary services really do it. There is hope because you're not alone. Like there is, you have, there are friends and there are people in the industry that really do like see you and understand your pain and want to make things better. I think it's going to be hard still for a couple of years. So I'm saying like, it's not, I'm not going to lie to anybody and be like, it's great. Everything is perfect. Everything is easy. Agents are all of a sudden going to be rational people. Like, because the people that agents are working with are also not rational. Like they're mm -hmm. working with consumers who are going through a really emotional process. You can't, you can't expect agents to be robots like they're not going to be robots and if you can be there for them in those moments if you as a broker can be there for them can help them can get them over that hump can like just give them a minute to feel like what they're going through they're not alone i think you'll be you'll be great it's just you've got to know who you are and what your values are as a company and you've got to stop doing stuff that isn't that. Like, you don't have to be all things to all people. Like, you are not, you don't have to be loved by everyone. You just have to be loved by the right people. And you just have to love them back. Like, you have to love on them back. And you so, have to, like, okay, get those if, if right All people. this love, all this support, are agents willing to pay 30% of the commission? No. Because of that. Then how do you survive financially? That's what That's I'm, what I'm to get saying. To. You got to do the ancillary services and you've, brought, you've got to trim a lot of the stuff. Mm -hmm. But like, that's what I'm saying. If you can understand what they actually need versus like, you don't need a super sexy office because nobody's coming to the office. Like that's not. Right. Well, that's EXP yeah. right there. They don't have yeah. a super, they have, yeah. it's all virtual, right? Yeah. And it might be why they're killing it to some extent. Yeah. Even and people, cost. I mean, like they want a place to go sometimes, <laughs> but it's not like. You have, I mean, you don't have to have the big fancy parties. You don't have to have the stuff like you just, you have to be there. Like you have to have, be accessible. Like you well, as the you? broker have to be accessible. But do you though? Because again, look at EXP, they have statewide brokers. Yeah. I mean, is that a problem? I don't love it. I don't <laughs> love it. I'll be honest. I don't love it. Um, 
because like I was in Washington state as a broker and Washington state is divided in half by pretty substantial mountain range. Um, the west side and the east side of the mountains might as well be different states. Like, right. They might as well be completely different. Cultures are different. I mean, yes, you have a statewide form. And so as far as the broker goes, like, yeah, legally you have the ability to transact anywhere in the state. You understand the forms because they are the same across the state. But in terms of like knowing the dynamics on the ground in um, Seattle versus Bellingham, even that was like a hundred miles away, those could have, those were super different dynamics when I was there. Um, and then you go to the east side of the mountains, like Spokane, that's a totally different dynamic, a totally different price point, a totally different mindset. So I don't feel like a statewide broker and I don't feel like a statewide broker is going to be giving agents the greatest level of service and care. But I would imagine that those agents who are at a brokerage that has like one person per state, um, I would imagine they have their own like networks within right. that company that they lean on each other for support. When it comes down to like the legality of that, not great, but yeah. What's not great, like what's the problem? Well, I mean, like I could ask, I mean, you see this in, well, I mean, I have, I've bounced myself off of Facebook a long time ago, but um, like you used to, or I used to see it in Facebook groups. People are like, so I have this question, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh my God, you are asking 30,000 strangers how to run a transaction. They're not in your state. They are not your broker. They are not legally responsible for you or your license or this transaction. Like, stop, stop mm -hmm. taking advice from people who don't have skin in the game. So that's the part like with the statewide broker that I get nervous about, like you got 10,000 agents in a state and you got one broker for that. Like that's a lot of legal liability for that broker. Mm. And especially if that broker is a player coach where they're out doing their own transactions and not just like making sure that everyone is doing the legal stuff. I know that they've got transaction managers and everything, but again, like the legal liability for a broker or a managing broker, depending on what state you're in, like that's big. I had 70 agents and I was nervous all the time, 70. And I was nervous. I'm like, oh God, please. My license is on the line if any of this gets messed up. I feel like with the statewide broker, that is a huge liability. Yeah, we haven't yet seen it really affect things, though, right? I mean, no. I'm not aware of any like states, you know, revoking the license of like some statewide broker, um, you know. And so, as yet, I mean, wouldn't couldn't you argue that the reason why is because the statewide broker model really only works when you have large agent teams? They already know what they're doing, you know. What I mean, and that those agents don't even really need a broker except for legal. Compliance. Well, in Washington State, to have a team, you actually have to have a managing broker's license to have people under you. So to okay. run a team in Washington State, you actually have to have a managing broker's license. So in those scenarios, like supervisory you, yeah. Capacity. yeah, so you don't even need a broker, really, right? And with, so in those in that context, what do you need a broker for? You know, insurance. <laughs> and you, you know, insurance. And also because if 
things go completely sideways, it is nice to have the liability on someone else. To just kick it upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, so given that, like, the future brokerage is pretty dim, right? And they all know it. You know, like, what's what do you think the brokers are thinking or doing? You know, how do you, what, what's. I already what's told there? you what they're doing. I already told you. No, those they're are the brokers. Man. I'm talking about the crying. owners, you know, because there are a bunch of them and they're getting bigger and bigger. They're consolidating, you know, like, like, how do you think they're seeing the world? I guess is the question. Honestly, I think that they are probably going, we're going to ride this as long as we can and we're going to do what we can and then we'll have to pivot. We'll pivot when we need to. That's what I think. Mm. I haven't sat in the lobby bar and talked to a broker in a bit, but that's, I mean, if I were having a conversation with them, I think that's probably what some of them Do you think are. it's different between large brokerages and, and boutiques? Yeah, I do. What do you think the difference is? I think in the boutiques- of, they, In terms I of mean, that prospect for the future thing, you know? I think honestly, boutiques, they are able to pivot a lot more. And I think that boutiques typically- um, are like more of the old school relational, like they do a lot of the relational type marketing. Like they are like, I'm thinking of Vanessa in, you know, San Francisco, Oakland area. Yeah, like, Oak. yeah. yeah. I think like Vanessa and she is boutique and they're, you know, large, but they are super local. And so I think that super local boutique brokerage, that's like part of the community. I think that that is, they're going to be fine. I think, I mean, it's, they, they know who their agents are. They know who their customers are. They know their sweet spot and they know like how to operate kind of in their zone of genius. I think it's the larger ones that it could, it could get ugly for a while. And if you rely on like the number of agents, because again, like if you're feeing people to death and just getting collecting monthly fees, and that's how you're keeping your doors open. I think those ones are going to be in for a world of hurt. Mm. But I, I don't know. That's my that's my maybe I'm black pilled and you're more white pilled. What do you think? No, I, I mean, no, I'm when it comes to brokerage future, you know, I'm pretty black pilled. Right? Okay. I, but I think I think the brokers got a reprieve with COVID jacking up price, you know, home prices. Yeah. So driving sales volume, driving, you know, revenues for them. Yeah. And also just remote work, like remote work and people moving across the country. I think that, um, I mean, gosh, at the beginning of COVID and there were some places like you abs, everything was absolutely shut down. But then Mm -hmm. when things started reopening and people were like, Oh, I can work from anywhere. I think everyone's been benefiting from that for the last two years. I right. don't know how much longer that's going to be happening. It, it, it won't be that much longer because I think everyone who's able to do that, right? Um, I think by the end of this year, they probably would have done it. You know, yeah. like if you, ha- if you haven't done it by end of this year, because that's not three years into this whole new work from home thing, then they're not going to do it because they love whatever, you know, they love San Jose. So they're never going to leave San Jose. Mm-hmm. You know, they're never going to leave Chicago because they have deep family roots. I think folks who were going to do it have either already done it or they will do it this year. Right. And I say this year because this is the first year we're really having like the whole like COVID panic is over. Right. So. Well, um, I hear that people are getting it again, but I also think, I mean, I think that it could happen 
I think the moving could happen into next year too, depending on how the midterm elections go. And I don't want to get political. Like I really yeah, don't yeah, want to yeah, get yeah, political, yeah. but I do think that there is a chance that depending on how midterm elections go, we could see another wave of movement. I could see that. Sure. Especially at the state and local level, because a lot of these COVID related <laughs> stuff is at the state level. So, mm-hmm. you know, depending on how things flip, there could be another way. But I think most of those people, most of folks who, who were going to move, in other words, let's put it differently. I think if I were to think about it, the people who might move after the midterms are not your work from home economic migrants, if that makes sense. Yeah. In other words, they're not the they're you political know, refugees. To- What's that? They're political refugees. Yeah, I think that's a better way of thinking about it. I don't think they're the, you know, uh, 30-something couple working for Facebook who, you know, after in the last two years just said, holy crap, we're, we're living in a 700-square-foot condo. It doesn't work anymore. Let's move out. I think those people have already done it or they will do it this year. I think next year and years beyond, I think are people who are going to be one way or another, right? They're not happy with some local community, local political type situations are going to leave, right? And I don't think it's just blue to red refugees. I could really see it being the other way around as well, yeah. right? Would yeah. say, I'm, I'm tired of this. There's too much whatever Christian redneck stuff happening here. I need to move, right? I need to go be with my people. I think it'll be that, not the real work from home economic migrants, right? I think that's going to be this year, which means, can bring this back, from a brokerage standpoint, I do think we're going to see a realignment, right? As to who, like, I think EXP benefited enormously from sort of this migration out from kind of the big blue cities and big blue states into places where they were pretty strong. Um, <clears throat> I think Remax benefited a lot from that. I think KW benefited a lot from that. I think some of the boutiques benefit a lot. Whereas, sort of the Redfin Compass Realogy that were really concentrated in some of the, you know, coastal markets, I think they kind of got hurt by a lot of it. Um, my read is that Realogy benefited because they're so strong in Florida and Florida is like the number one destination in the entire country. But after this whole thing is done, they might have, they might face some real, real challenges. Whereas I think EXP, Remax, KW, some of the ones that are more in the suburbs and exurban second and third tier cities, I think they're going to be fine. I would be really concerned about Redfin, actually, from the sort of a Well, let's talk about Redfin. Sure. Let's talk about Redfin and what you're concerned about. Like I said, we they're really... Con- about them for a while. We haven't, and they're really concentrated in those high-rent districts, you know? And I think they benefited, like, along with everybody else. But if you look at their numbers, their benefit is not as huge, right, as some of the other guys which is why I think they went so heavy into rentals. Um, but I would be concerned if this wave of work from home, sort of geographic, the great migration, once that comes to an end, Redfin's really not strong in those second, uh, secondary tertiary markets. Um, and I could see them having some real difficulty after this whole wave is done because who's moving to Seattle and San Francisco now, right? I mean... Price-wise, I think they benefit immensely. Um, their eye-buying activity is picking up, and that might be sort of their salvation. But California, Washington, Oregon, you know, the D.C. metro area, you know, which are sort of their biggest markets, it's not really um, 
it's not a beehive of a, a real estate activity. It's not a, a destination a lot of people are aspiring to move to anymore. If anything, they're aspiring to move out. So I, I'd be a little concerned from that standpoint. Now, could Redfin overcome it? I think they easily could with you know, being smart about iBuying and being very, very smart about rentals um, you know, and their portal activity. The challenge is they're now playing in Zillow and CoStar's backyard. And they're not Zillow or CoStar, right? So that would be my concern um, for Redfin. But so when you read out largely from that, then it's like, okay, Compass has been killing it, but I would be similarly concerned about Compass, right? Because for the same reasons, like they, they have wonderful agents, all that, but I think they benefited enormously from this, the great migration. Once and then also company, just the price increases, like, Right. Some of those areas, the price increases have just been enormous. Yeah, right, enormous. But I, I mean, a lot of that I think could tamp down, and we start pivoting to this new sort of renter nation type model. And I could see I would be a little bit concerned about them as well. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not white pilled about brokerages at all, which is why I want to have this conversation about the state of brokerage, right? Because I yeah, love and I guy. think I care about them. You know, just I'm not sure what they're what the prospects are for them, you know? Like HomeSmart, the way that they have really like doubled down on being very like process and system oriented, I think that they will always do well. I th Because I feel like they've got it, like they look mm -hmm. at it with a really scientific approach mm -hmm. um, where their agents do all of the relational stuff HomeSmart itself look like basically runs it like a science like they're t making little tweaks to systems and processes but those systems and processes are like really pretty robust and like they're pretty stringent with them internally I think mm -hmm. which I think is a benefit to them I think right. having that re things really streamlined and systematized helps them run really lean and helps them will help them scale in the future and i'm really wishing them a ton of success when they go public so it's um so i'm like bullish on that and i also think that to your point about renter nation i think if anyone needs to pivot to property management in their like bringing that into their brokerage model i think that HomeSmart is really really well positioned for that i think they are they haven't yet and everyone's like, that's one of the weirdest things because this this year and last year I've been talking a hell of a lot, and you and I have talked, and we've done some projects around, you know, sort of the fusion brokerage model of property management plus real estate. And I'm telling you, the real estate people are just real wary; they're real nervous about it. They don't they don't want to do anything with them. I'm like, all right, somebody's gonna arise, right? Like, so I don't know. I I think from my standpoint, if I'm talking to boutique brokers today, I'd be talking about property management. Like, yeah. You know, everyone's thinking escrow and title and mortgage. I'm like, you're playing with the big boys in that pool where you're local, you're hyper. Because you had mentioned this, right? Like the way you said, the advantage that the boutiques have is they're super local. They're hyper local. Right? And they have those local relations that are part of the community. Adding title, escrow, and mortgage to that doesn't, I don't know what kind of advantage you have. Because I think all three of those, you benefit more from scale than you from local. Whereas property management, scale doesn't matter as much as local, right? So I think if I'm them, I think about that. Like, 
if you're a local boutique and you dot and you're very strong in some local market, then you should be thinking about adding property management. Right. Well, but to make any money in property management, you have to scale. You have to scale some, somewhat. What I mean is you don't have to scale to nationwide. You have to scale right. to 500,000 doors in your local market, right? Which, yeah, you'd have to scale somewhat. Mm -hmm. And the trouble is most of those guys don't have the discipline. They don't have the operational chops, you know, to do property management. Because that's Well, not that's why I'm saying I think HomeSmart is really well positioned because they yeah. do have that like super systematic, super yeah. process driven yeah. way of doing business. Yeah. Um, that's all kind of like, but see, Redfin too, though, I think that's where Redfin's yeah. salvation could be, right? Yeah. Because yeah. Redfin's W2, they're very process oriented. They have their own systems. Um, well, they bought like rent path or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If they could leverage that, I think that's their salvation. But if they can't, yeah. then we could be in for a world of trouble. Whereas the yeah. big traditionals, I worry about those guys a lot because they don't have that. And they, they're built on this culture of recruiting and retention and, you know, on the flip side, the big the big ones they all have title escrow mortgage, so maybe they'll be fine. Um, so it's it's kind of like it's it's interesting. It's kind of like looking at the agent ranks as well, right? So we know that the top five ten percent of the the Brendas have done incredibly well. We're at the bottom tier who are part timers anyway. They don't give a crap. They're not they're not making money now. They don't care if they're making money. It's that you call what you call them the meaty middle. Yeah, the meaty. I think middle. those are the ones that are getting hammered, right? Oh yeah. They are. I mean, because those are ones that are striving to do it full time, but they're not mm -hmm. really there. Um, and they are they're absolutely getting hammered. Those right. are the those are the margins that are absolutely getting hammered. And they are I mean, they're working really hard. They're trying, right. but they just don't like they're making their broker some money but they're really struggling. And right. until they're, they're they can actually like break right. through to the next level, right. they're going to be, you know, 30, 40, 50% of every check is going to go to their brokerage. And so it's really hard for them to like get momentum, pay for the tools and systems and processes. Cause that's another thing that brokers, like nobody really wants to admit that like brokers have all of these things, but their agents don't want to use their tools. And like, because they want to be portable. And if they're, if they get a better deal from someone else, they want to be able to pick up and yep. move their business somewhere else. Yep. Like that's the thing that nobody really wants to talk about. And then brokers get mad when MLSs like provide data and technology and all of this stuff. But agents might be more prone to using that because again, like as long as they're not moving into a different market, if they're staying in the same market, they could use the tools and services that mm -hmm. the MLS provides, but like brokers don't want them to do that. It's a whole, like, brokerage is really hard. Yeah. Bless you to all the brokers out here in the audience because right. it is it is a tough business. And I, I feel like it. the last couple of years, yeah, you might be making some money and you're probably just going on momentum and, like, adrenaline and whatever from the last two years of the insane housing market. But at some point, it is going to stop. And at some point, you are going to need to be like, oh, what do we do yep. next? Because yep. this momentum that we were like, just perpetual 20% increases is not sustainable. Like it's just not sustainable. And whether it's, yeah. you know, just the devalued dollar, if it's actual like rising home prices, um, I'm not going to argue with you on that because you are, I'm going to outkick my coverage in terms yeah, of let, like let me give you a way of thinking economics. About and so really it's not just you, obviously our listeners. I think to 20% year over year is sustainable. 
I think that could happen because what we have is not home prices increasing. It's not a housing market thing. It's a macroeconomic dollar devaluation thing. But the flip side of that says to me, then your profits have to go up 20% a year, year over year. Right. Yeah. In other words, if home prices are going up that and that's how your your revenues are going up, then your profits also have to your hurdle rate is new. Your new hurdle rate for profit growth has to be twenty percent or more a year. Otherwise, you're losing ground, right? And very few companies are hitting that type of metric right now. The other end of it is what we just what we were just getting at, which is brokerages are facing the same type of problems where they if they're in that middle, you're they're screwed. They need to break through to being one of the top, or they're going to drop down to being, you know, something else. Um, what that then says to me is, you either have to scale up to be like a top ten percent brokerage. Um, and I don't know what number that is. You know, we know that like Swanapol does a mega one thousand. I don't know what number you have to be in order to be in the top five ten percent, um, or you have to drop down and become like an agent team. Right? And you could call yourself whatever the hell you want. But if you're, you know, if the broker's out there and is like this main source of all the leads and your broker team, right? You're an agent yeah. team. Um, you're a teamerage, as we like to you're call You're a teamerage, right. Yeah. And I, I worry about that middle. And I think that middle, the meaty middle of brokerage as well, those are the folks that I feel like most need to think about this and they have least amount of time and the money to do anything about it, right? And it's yeah. it's this weird place that they're caught in, and they're not the ones that we typically talk about because we're typically because me especially, you know, I really only refer to like public data, and that's really only available from public companies like Realogy and Home, you know, Home Services and Home, you know, all those guys. Yeah, but. You know, like in your travels, you talk more with the the meaty middle folks, you know. Well, honestly, in my travels the last couple of years, I haven't been talking to or I haven't been working with a lot of brokers because they are so busy just trying to keep up with the changing dynamics that they don't have time to like take a step back and take a breath. Right. So I've been spending a lot more time with the MLS and with different prop tech and different other companies because brokers are really like they don't even have a second to like have a moment to look and be introspective like they don't they can't look up they're not like they're so heads down like if they look up they feel like they're gonna lose right like and i think that that's right over them that's what worries me because then they're going to be like you know the wily coyote scenario from the old looney tunes where they're just running 100 miles an hour all of a sudden the cliff ends and they're in midair like what the hell and yeah. By that time, it's too late. Um, yeah, no, I'm very worried about them. Like, I am super worried about them. It's not that I am not. Um, but the current environment that they are in is like, they are just trying to survive. Like, they are just trying to keep up and survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point, I really do hope that they take a minute to, like, stop, yeah, look up, yeah. and go, oh, this is not sustainable. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to do something around that, you know, because we're we're almost an hour now. Like we keep talking about like these lobby cons and you know events and whatnot. Because I'm not aware of any any space, any opportunity for those mid the meaty middle brokerages to take that breath, you know. And maybe it does need to be have to be like some weekend event. It's like it's not about speakers and hearing about the latest prop tech. It's literally just come here and just sit and think about the wily coyote thing, you know. 
that might well, be useful. Maybe we, we do it. Maybe somebody else do it. Somebody do it. And if not, if you're just listening to this, you're in that meaty middle, take a weekend, go away to fucking Hawaii or to your cabin or something and, and do that because I think it's really necessary. So Yeah. Yeah. To All right. Create that space to like actually think about it. And get out of that daily, like the daily work that you are doing all the time. You've got to actually like stop, look up, take a breath. Right. Which is hard to do when you've got all of these bags of needs all around you, um, which is what agents are, just bags of needs. But, you know, this reminds me of the the thing. I can't remember the saying now, but there was some saying about like the urgent versus the important. Yeah. Right. And I think so many of the, of the brokers are caught in the urgent, like right now, have to answer, deal with this right now, that they're kind of pushing the important, you know, keep pushing it to the back burner. It's like there comes a point where that back burner like, catches on fire. Yeah, because it's important. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's end there and uh, urge our, our listeners to do that. Um, hopefully, and they'll listen and, you know, hopefully they can uh, reach out to people who could help them do that. And thanks, Greg, for um, being in Hawaii so I could sit in your chair. Um, yep. Hopefully I made you proud. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, I much more enjoyed looking at my co-host this episode than even when you're around, Greg. I'm, I ain't going to lie. So. Oh, Greg's adorable. Greg he is, adorable. but not, you know, I, yeah. Anyway, thanks, babe. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Ciao. Bye.